we have this fourth trimester now, which is, you know, 12 weeks. And we're starting to see the benefit of adding in physio during that time and mental health support and lactation support and all these things. But like, in my opinion, like postpartum is forever because there are women in their sixties and their seventies that are still experiencing dysfunction from when they had babies. So you can't tell me that they have recovered and you can't say that this hasn't been a lifelong issue like or a chronic injury. You're listening to the Well Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Lee, women's menstrual cycle educator, natural fertility coach, and daytime mermaid. This is a place where we discuss all things periods, poo, ovulation, fertility, and sex. Join me weekly as we rediscover our menstrual cycles, unlock its superpowers, and guide you back into your cyclical nature. You're listening to episode 203 of the Well Woman podcast, and we are chatting all about postpartum pelvic floor recovery, what they're actually not telling you. And today's guest is Marcy Crouch, and Marcy is the founder of the Down There Doc and DT method. Yes, you can check her out online at the Down There Doc on Instagram. She's a mama and a doctor dedicated to universally serving, empowering, and equipping women and the birthing community with confidence, building tips, along with valuable information and knowledge to support birth preparation and postpartum recovery. Marcy is diving deep with us today about the truths around the pelvic floor and postpartum care. Yes, we talk about the long-term challenges that can come from an uncared pelvic floor postpartum. We talk about the optimal time frame between births. Is there a healthy time frame? How long should I leave between having a baby? That question we dive deep into, along with the expected timeline recovery of how long does it actually take to recover? We dive into postpartum recovery, what that can look like, the team of supportive people who can support you on that journey, how we can tell if we have a weak pelvic floor. And of course, naturally, we talk about pelvic floor and menstruation too. And is your pelvic floor potentially contributing to your menstrual health experiences, aka period pain, cramping, etc. Let's jump into the episode with Marcy to find out. Marcy, Welcome to the Well Woman Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Super excited to chat. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about this topic too. So thank you for like being here. And um, mm-hmm. I'm very excited about your vibe for this topic too. <laughs> so <laughs> be careful we... what you wish for. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, before we dive in, tell us what day of your cycle are you on and how are you checking in today? Let's kick it off. Yeah. So, um, I, let's see what is today. So I'm in the States. So today is Monday evening and let's see, Saturday, Sunday. So I'm on day three. I'm on day three of my cycle. Mm. So I'm in it. You're in it. How are you checking in? I mean, I'm not really, I have, my kids have been sick for, um, like literally a month. And my little one has just tested positive for flu today, this morning. So I've just been in like non self-care mode for a while. Oh. So I, I haven't really been, I've been, you know, trying to get fevers down and catching vomit and like doing all the things. Oh, so I'm gosh. feeling a little bit like fatigued. So mm, good. Word. I don't know if that's like, a, yeah, uh, good yeah. Words. Yeah. 
fatigued and ready, ready. Like, hey, can someone just catch my vomit now? Like, I know. Can someone help me over here? Oh my gosh. I know. I I got really sick a couple of weeks ago. And I remember I was just like laying in bed and I was like, I want my mom (laughs) to come. I'm like, I want my mom to come and just like take care of my life. You know, it's like you never get over that. You know, you always just like want somebody to take care of you when you feel Mm -hmm. crummy. So that's been my role for the last month or so. Well, thank you for checking in. I'm really, really (laughs) very grateful that you did and um, love that you're joining us on day three. So thank you for dedicating some of your your evening while everything else is going on. Of course. Pelvic floor. Like that's Mm -hmm. what we're talking about today. Pelvic floor with birth and postpartum recovery. And Mm -hmm. it's such an important topic. We were briefly chatting Mm -hmm. about it before hitting record. That's, you know, I find I'm always talking about topics that are just never mm-hmm. talked about, but this is yeah. one of those other things that is hidden in the sense that not people bring mm-hmm. it to the forefront of conversations. So Marcy, yeah. how are you, how did you get into talking about the pelvic floor and being a pelvic floor guru? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I would say that it, it really started, um, back in 2007. So I started my doctorate program going into, um, physical therapy at school. And I didn't know anything about the pelvic floor. I just gotten married. None of my kids were married or none of my kids, none of my friends were married and my friends had kids. I had, you know, I worked in orthopedics. I thought I was just going to like be an ortho for that's what I thought physical, physical therapy was. And that's what I was going to do. And I remember first anatomy class that we had, I was sitting, you know, I remember where I was sitting. I remember what I was wearing And the professor was talking about the pelvic floor and the spinal musculature. Like that was a section of anatomy. And she used the example of a woman who had a very significant tear during vaginal delivery. And I just was like looking at the picture and listening to her and just saying, thinking in my head, what do you tear I was like, what do you mean you tear? What is being <laughs> torn? Like, I couldn't even just wrap my head around it. I mean, it just wasn't a part of my world at that point, you know? And so I was super fascinated by that. And that really kind of was a jumping off point for me to really focus my career and my studies in grad school and residency on women's health specifically, and really focusing on the pelvic floor and birth trauma, physical birth trauma and long-term issues from having babies and being pregnant and what we can do to, to prevent some of these musculoskeletal injuries. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess I was the one that was always being like shouting from the classroom. Well, what about the vagina and what about the (laughs) pelvic floor and what about sex and what about peeing and, you know, all these things. And they're like, Oh my God, Marcy is talking again, (laughs) you know, just like hush and go Quiet out there in the back. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But back then they didn't even have public floor stuff really as part of the curriculum. And, um, now it's changing at least over here in the States. Like we're seeing a little bit more public stuff, pelvic floor stuff kind of be in the general curriculum for physio, but, um, it's still not something that is widely recognized as a standard of practice. Mm, that's blows my mind considering mm-hmm. it's such an important aspect <laughs> of our bodies and that particular like rite of passage too, you know, bringing Mm -hmm. babies into the world and then, okay, how do I reheal and recover my body so that I don't have a uterus that's falling out my vagina or my vulva through my labia? So yeah. tell us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's the analogy that I use all the time to kind of help people understand the significance of the pelvic floor and 
why physios like really are kind of the best people to be down there. (laughs) I mean, technically is that pelvic floor, the pelvic floor muscles are made up of skeletal muscle, which is the same as your bicep or your shoulder or your quad. And when we have another musculoskeletal injury, like a muscle tear or a surgery or trauma or overuse or scar tissue formation or poor mechanics or whatever, we rehab, we prevent further injury and we treat that with physical therapy, whether that's in the hospital, whether it's out, whether it's, you know, in the home, but the same type of injuries happen during delivery and pregnancy. And there's no support for the birthing person afterwards, but it's the same structures. It just happens to be in the perineum or in the pelvic floor or in the lower abdomen. If you had had a C-section or both, if you had attempted a vaginal delivery and then went for a C-section. So if we had a baseball pitcher, for example, do you guys have baseball over there? <laughs> like, I don't know. Do you know? It's like in soccer, baseball, baseball's, baseball's not that common, but mind okay, you, half, half of the listeners to this podcast are from North America. So it's totally okay. Fine. Okay. Okay. Good. And good if okay. you don't know baseball, Perfect. maybe you'll just have to Google it. Um, yeah. but no, I get, I get a pitch. I know what a pitch okay. of a baseball field Perfect. looks like. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you have somebody that like throws the ball to the batter. Right. And if he, that person tore a shoulder muscle or damaged something in their rotator cuff and had to have surgery to repair it. Then the analogy here, the parallel is that we tear our perineum and our pelvic floor during delivery and we have surgery to repair it. We are stitching this muscles together with sutures. (laughs) It's the same type of injury Mm. that baseball player is not told at exactly six weeks post-surgery to pitch a full game. But moms and women and birthing persons are told that at six weeks, that they should be healed, quote unquote, that they should be going back to the things that they were doing pre-pregnancy, which was almost a year ago without any recovery plan or roadmap or rehab or motor control Mm. training or strengthening or whatever. And they should just shut up about it because that's just what happens when you have a baby and women have been doing it for centuries and everybody pees and everybody has prolapse and everybody has pain. So you just deal with it, wear a pad or drink wine when you have sex. So you don't feel it or, you know, insert whatever you want to insert. That's not really treatment. But if the baseball pitcher said, okay, I have to pitch a game. We would, he or she would get physical therapy in the hospital. They'd get physical therapy prior to surgery. They'd have sports medicine, they'd have massage therapy, they'd have PT, they'd have orthopedic doctor, they'd have imaging, they'd have pain control. They'd have all of these resources and a plan from day one from surgery up until six weeks. And then they'd have a return to sport plan Mm. that includes range of motion and strengthening and scar massage and blah, 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 and pain reduction strategies, all the things that we do for injuries. I mean, just think of what you could get for a sprained ankle versus a C-section. And then a C-section is way more traumatic to the body. It's major abdominal surgery, but at that time at discharge for C-section moms now have to keep a baby alive. That's like on their belly, like holding and nursing or feeding a baby. They have two major incisions. They're bleeding from their vagina because they're healing from the placenta. A lot of people don't realize that you bleed from the vagina after you have a C-section and you have a uterus that's like 
a hundred times bigger than it was before. And all of your abdominal muscles are stretched out. Oh, and by the way, you're super constipated from nursing and all the pain meds from surgery. So it's like, you have all of these things on top of really, it's not that complicated of an injury. When you look at it just from like a musculoskeletal standpoint that we could be preventing them and treating them so much like more efficiently. Mm. And it would stop so much long-term problems and improve quality of life for so many people. I mean, it's just like, I, I, I've been doing this since 2007 and I don't understand why it's such an uphill battle still to mm. give this sort of care resources to women. I just, I, I, I cannot wrap my brain around it. Especially when, you know, we are the life givers. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and I love that you mentioned that analogy with the baseball player because naturally with sport, we're like, oh, he's got an injury. Yeah. Let's give him all the support that he needs. And mm-hmm. I, we do definitely live more in a patriarchal style world where women are more yeah. isolated when it comes to mothering, especially first time mothering and just mm-hmm. doing all the things on their own. Um, but there's a huge healing and transition that goes into it. You know, that, that whole fourth trimester time you For mentioned sure. long-term challenges. What mm-hmm. are some of the long-term challenges if a, a birthing mother doesn't get the support or know how to ask mm-hmm. for the support or know that mm-hmm. the support's even there. Cause I know a lot of people yeah. don't even realize that it's there. They what don't. are some of the long-term challenges that mm-hmm. can be experienced by someone who doesn't get that right support to help rebuild or restructure or heal um, mm-hmm. their pelvic floor? Yeah, it's a great question and super relevant. So in the States, we see nine out of 10 women have pain with intercourse or vaginal penetration the first time that they attempt it after having baby. And then that same study, they looked at the same group of women 18 months down the road. So this is over a year and about a quarter of them still had pain. So we're talking 18 months of pain, vaginal perineal pain with any type of insertion. They specifically looked at intercourse in the study, but anecdotally and what I see in the clinic is there's a lot of carryover with tampons or cups or discs or speculum or whatever. So like, that's a long time to have pain. And what I see in the clinic and what I've seen over my career is that it's way longer than 18 months. I mean, they just stopped the study at 18 months, but if you kept going, you would see women who are having sexual dysfunction for years after having a baby. And it doesn't have to be a vaginal delivery. C-sections are not protective of pelvic floor issues. And I think that's a lot of, that's surprising to a lot of people because they're like, why a baby didn't come out of my vagina? Like, why is my vagina hurt? You know? So dyspareunia is the diagnosis that we use for pain with penetration. So it's not necessarily sex. It's any sort of penetration, vaginal, not rectal. Um, in the States, we see about one in four women report pelvic floor dysfunction, which wow. is... Yeah. It's a huge number. That's, 25%, which is, that's huge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's just reported. Yeah. And a lot of people would just be like, Oh, it's fine. Like you just, this is expected. Right. So they just mm-hmm. go on. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, it, I think the number is a lot higher than that. And I think some people don't think that like when they laugh and they pee a little bit, that that's like a pelvic floor issue. They're just like, Oh, it just, haha, it just happens. But it's like, that's an, that's incontinence. Like that is a pelvic floor problem. Like that was not happening before birth. So like it's happening now, <laughs> like that's not normal. Um, so leaking urine, pelvic organ prolapse, which you touched on a little bit earlier, pelvic pain, tailbone issues, constipation, hemorrhoids, um, <clears throat> C-section scar pain, diastasis recti, which is separation of the abdominal muscles, 
Um, there are some studies that are saying now we used to think a lot that, um, like long-term back pain and pelvic floor issues were correlated. And some studies say, yes, yeah, some studies say no. So we just need to do a little bit more work on that. But from my training and what I see in the clinic, I, I do think that if you have a pelvic floor issue, you will see problems up and down the chain. So I, I will link them until I read a study that says otherwise, but from mm. my experience, that's kind of what, you know, like back pain and issues like that can be related to what your pelvic floor is doing. Um, so yeah, basically kind of like, it's all the things that you never thought about or experienced before having baby basically in your vagina. And yeah. And then it's like everything that happens after it's just, you're just told that it's normal because it's common. And those are two very separate things. Common Mm -hmm. is not the same as normal. It's not. And I see that a lot with menstrual cycle, you know, people, Mm -hmm menstruate is just accepting though, but it's normal that I have an excessively heavy bleed and that, you know, it's extremely Mm -hmm. painful. Um, yeah, huge difference between common and normal. Mm -hmm. Um, something that just popped up for me. And I think a bit, bit of backstory, I studied ancestral health back in like 2013, you know, on the journey of like really diving into, you know, women's health outside Mm -hmm. of nutrition, which is where I started. And I'll never forget that my ancestral teacher said that traditionally women used to allow seven years between pregnancies to -hmm. allow the optimal time of healing before going forward into having another pregnancy. And I feel in the world that we live in today, and you know, you're listening to a 35 year old, almost 36 Mm -hmm. year old, nearly 36 year old who is yet to be a birth mother and would love to be a lot of women are birthing babies really close together. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the birth time and what is an optimal, like if we're thinking you can plan something and that is, there is an optimal time frame. Yeah. how long does something like that take to heal? How long should we be allowing mm. optimally for, you know, birthers between births? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. I don't know if I have the answer to that. So, um, here in the States, ACOG, American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, recommend a, at least a year bef- in between pregnancies. And this allows time for your cycles to kind of become normal <laughs> or typical for you. You know, like we kind of start to get back into the swing of things, like maybe where we, you know, we've weaned the baby off. Although a lot of times people have another year, which is perfectly fine. But we know that that doesn't always happen. Like sometimes we have, you know, a case of Irish twins where somebody gets pregnant, you know, in between a year, you know, sometimes we have longer ones. So I don't know if there's an optimal time. I think there's a lot of variables there. Mm -hmm. I mean, from just a kind of like a physical healing standpoint, I mean, I think minimum a year, you know, it takes a while mentally and physically to feel like yourself again. And took me at least a year with my first one. I mean, my kids are close. They're 22 months apart, just under two years. And we did IVF for a long time and we kind of were on like a clock and we had, you know, embryos in the freezer and we, you know, didn't really have the luxury of being like, oh, we can just wait and, you know, we'll try. Like we had all these things kind of working against us, but I think that there's a lot of variables there. And I think like how your babies are, too. (laughs) you know, I have a, a friend who had a really challenging first baby and she did wait seven years to have her second one because she's like, I just don't think I can like go through that again from a mental standpoint. And I was like, well, hundred percent, you know, there's no rush, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I think it varies. And I, and I think how you perceive how your birth went and the care that you received 
during and after I think plays a part in that, you know, um, a lot of women report being dissatisfied with their birthing experience. And I hear that too. Yeah. And I think that nobody's like really ready to just like go back into a situation that you might have a little bit of PTSD from, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it, I think it's so personal and so dependent on many things, but that's what we're trying to, to change a little bit in terms of feeling supported and that you have the resources. Um, and if, so if you did have a less than optimal birth experience the first time, that's not a written guarantee that you're going to have the same one the second time. If in fact you want to have kids closer together, because a lot of women are having babies later in life now. And so, you know, they, they can't wait seven years. You know, if you're having your first baby at 40, it will be a lot harder to have a second one at 47 obviously. So hundred percent that like, you know, that's me. I'm 36 and I haven't, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not pregnant and I haven't had a baby yet. And so, yeah, there is that extra timeline pressure, but such a good mm-hmm. answer that there is no such straight answer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can also look at the child and be like, Hey, is that child ready to have, you know, mm-hmm. some care taken away from it? Because, mm-hmm. you know, the mother then has to dedicate all of her time to like, not all of it, but yes. most of her time to caring for the next baby. So, How's that impacting the first child? And I can definitely say that being the oldest of four Mm -hmm. and, you know, my mom, but like having four, three kids in four years. Oh boy. So yeah. Like I, like as an oldest child, like how does it impact the child? And Mm -hmm. you know, there's lots Mm -hmm. of stuff that goes into it. Today's episode is sponsored by Eco Modern Essentials. Over the last year and a half, I've fallen in love with their essential oil blends and my diffuser is going nonstop in my home and my office and everything smells delicious when you enter my house. I've fallen in love particularly though with their Mindset Collection. It's a premium collection of essential oil blends curated with intention to elevate your mindset. You can connect with each story of each individual blend and what it represents and take that into your day along with its positive attribute and blend name. A dollar from every Mindset Collection purchase will be donated equally across the six mentioned charities on their website. Head to ecomodernessentials.com.au and use the code GEMMALEE10 to save on purchases over $85. This discount code cannot be used with any other code or offer and cannot be used on reoccurring subscription boxes. If you want to learn more about them and their cheeky, amazing blends, head to their Instagram page as well, Eco Modern Essentials. But I'd love to hear what is the expected timeline for recovery? So if we just focus on the recovery mm-hmm. after birth versus reality, you know, mm-hmm. being like, oh, you're, you're fine. Four weeks mm-hmm. after, like, let's take, let's get mm-hmm. you out for dinner. Let's get you back in the gym. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. is the oh my timeline for recovery? Yeah. So, so many feelings on this topic. So let them all out. <laughs> I will. I will. So the, in the States here, we have something that happens at the six week mark. So this is usually around the time that we go back to see whoever, whatever medical provider helped us deliver. So midwife, OB, whoever around the six week mark, six to eight weeks, it's like a two minute appointment. They look at your vagina. They ask you what type of birth control you want to be on. And then they say like, go free. (laughs) You're cleared to do everything. Looks great. Looks normal. You're perfect. And most of the times women and birthing persons don't feel healed, ready, that things feel the same that heard. they heard. Yeah, exactly. Because the, the answers are 
oh, I'm, you know, like somebody says, okay, I, you know, I'm leaking pee. I have this bulge in my vagina. Like I don't even like want to have sex with my partner. The thought of that is just super scary to me. I have hemorrhoids and my butthole hurts, like all these things. And they're just like, yeah, yeah, that's normal. You're fine. There's nothing wrong. It's fine. It's fine. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. So when we're told that over and over and over and over and over again, we're not going to continue to ask for help because we've been told over and over and over again that it's normal. And so we just think that it's normal. And this is just what life is going to be like now. And that from that timeline, what they're looking at at six weeks is tissue healing, which is super different than recovery. Six to eight weeks is when wounds close, stitches dissolve, bleeding has stopped for the most part. The you're healed from like a cellular standpoint, like your incisions have laid down scar tissue. Like you are no longer worried about, you know, infection or whatever, like they're that all of that is what they're looking for. They're not looking at comprehensive recovery. That's not what they're doing. And I, that's what we expect. And that's what we think is happening. So the problem is in this disconnect here because we see our medical providers as authority figures, right? Which they are. They say, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. You trust them. And then you try to do the things that you want to do, go for a run, have sex with your partner, go back to the gym, do CrossFit at six weeks postpartum, and then realize quickly that it's not going to work out. And then you feel, or the mother feels like there's something wrong with her. She's a failure. Her life is never going to be like it was before. She's missing out on the things that give her joy. She's not going to be able to be intimate with her partner. You still are feeling like a zombie at six weeks postpartum from a hormonal and sleep deprivation standpoint. So like, I didn't want to go to the gym at six weeks postpartum. Like I just wanted to sleep all day, you know, but for a lot of people, that's like what their identity is like. So when you're told that you can and should do something, but then physically you are unable to that's very, that's very hard. And, Mm. um, you know, just from like a physiologic standpoint, if we go back to that example of the baseball pitcher, the baseball pitcher is not told do nothing for six weeks and then do everything (laughs) like nothing magic happens at six weeks. It's not like at five weeks and, you know, six days, you can't lift weights. And then all of a sudden you wake up on the six, the first day of the six week and you can you know, that's like our bodies don't work that way. So ultimate recovery time really should be, I mean, I think a year (laughs) or so, like we have this fourth trimester now, which is, you know, 12 weeks. And we're starting to see the benefit of adding in physio during that time and mental health support and lactation support and all these things. But like, in my opinion, like postpartum is forever because there are women in their sixties and their seventies that are still experiencing dysfunction from when they had babies. So you Mm. can't tell me that they have recovered and you can't say that this hasn't been a lifelong issue, like, or a chronic injury, I would say. Mm. And they've just accepted that it's part of life. Well, that's what they've been told. And if you just look at the pad industry, (laughs) like, look at how their marketing is. It's thin to thick. You start with a pad and you end in adult diapers. It's not the other way around as it should be. Mm. Start with thick when you, after you have a baby and then get better. So you might only need a liner. I mean, they're a billion dollar company. Their, their entire business model is based on women being told that 
leaking pee is normal. And that's just part of being a woman. Mm. And, the, and wearing a pad is treatment. I'm leaking pee. Here, wear a pad. Yeah, I'm leaking is, pee. Is that really Stop a running. solution? That's the thing is like, is that really doing anything beneficial? Um, such a good shit. Not, I mean, not from like a physical standpoint. I mean, I, I like pads in the sense that they give somebody back independence. Right. And like, you know, we need them to keep our skin healthy and, you know, that sort of thing. But what I don't like about them is that the message is that you have to wear them and that they are treatment. And this is just how it's going to be. And it's not treatment. It's definitely not. not it's not <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just not. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I think um, it really comes back to preparation is key, you know, with mm-hmm. everything. And yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this who are like, okay, well, I plan on maybe having a family or children or birthing a baby mm-hmm. in eight years time, in 12 mm-hmm. years time. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to like give yourself a leg up and prepare for this? And totally. if so, what can you do? Like help us yeah. do that if yeah. you're on that journey. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a great question. And I am starting to see more people's younger um, women who are wanting to become pregnant and have babies kind of come in from like a proactive standpoint, either like very early in their pregnancy or maybe a year or so prior to getting pregnant. You have to think about the pelvic floor just as important as any other muscle in your body. And I would argue it is more important because it's on all the time and it's literally the floor of our core. (laughs) I mean, if we didn't have it, like our guts would fall out all over the place. (laughs) So it's like the floor of your core. Yeah. It's the floor. It's like holding everything in. So, and we're like walking around against gravity. So like, (laughs) like if you didn't have it, it just, you just, we wouldn't be able to. (laughs) Yes. So it, it deserves the type of maintenance and control and strengthening and relaxation and stretching and all the things that we do for other muscles in our body to keep us mobile, to keep us strong, to keep us optimally moving. So I would say, you know, if you're experiencing any of the issues that we mentioned before, leaking pain, prolapse, constipation, hemorrhoids, you know, frequency, urgency, UTI like symptoms, but no UTI chronic yeast, but then no yeast, but still symptoms like things like that, that just aren't right. Then I would say like, get a jump on it and come see a physio to start to kind of optimize what your pelvic floor is doing. And it's not just about strengthening. You know, we always hear about like, now do Kegels on, do all these Kegels and get, give, get yourself a tight vagina and like all this stuff. And that's not that strengthening is like one tiny piece of the puzzle. There's sometimes so having many a tight vagina is not the best. No, to have. <laughs> no. And that's why people have pain most of the time. It's because their muscles are too tight. Mm. So it's like, so a lot of times we just have to kind of give the pelvic floor a little TLC, as I, as I like to say, and, you know, make sure that if you do like to lift weights and like work out a lot and do a lot of Pilates, like a lot of core stuff that you need to balance it with some stretching, some, you know, rolling on your booty, you know, things to help the muscles kind of come back down to baseline muscles have to be able to contract and relax right through their whole range of motion. Same thing for the pelvic floor. Kegels don't push a baby out. Pelvic floors don't push a baby out. Pelvic floors have to get out of the way. (laughs) Like they have to lengthen and open to let Mm. the baby come out. So we have to make sure that we're preparing in a way that's specific to what the demand is. And for delivery, vaginal delivery, the demand is that the muscles have to go away (laughs) so the baby can come out. So we have to train for that. Um, Mm. So I would say 
you know, if you are early in your pregnancy, if you are in your second trimester, if you're going to deliver in a week, it's never too late. There's always things that you can learn and prepare for. We teach all of it in our program. It's called down there done, right? It's a combination of birth prep and postpartum recovery. And so it really kind of gives you the best of both worlds. Um, And it's not just for like newly postpartum people, like you can have had a baby 16 years ago and still benefit because chances are your pelvic floor is like still dealing with some things from that delivery 16 years ago. Super empowering because it just just goes to show that, you know, we think of an injury from years ago as like, oh, that was, Mm -hmm. that was so long ago. Like, that's not a a thing for me. And I always think of, Mm -hmm. I tore the the sheath off the back of my shoulder blade Mm. in a yoga pose in yoga about 10 years ago. And I still Mm. occasionally get a little bit of dullness, Mm -hmm. a little bit of achy, and, sure. you know, naturally I'm like, I'll go see my acupuncturist. I'll go see yeah. my osteopath 100%. and I get Same. support with that. So I love that we're normalizing that conversation around, okay, well, are you still recovering from your birth? Mm-hmm. And what can you do to support that? So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. The next question that I have is how do I know if I actually have a weak pelvic floor? For people who are listening to this and aren't mothers, so they haven't had had or been through birth, how do I know if, like, how would I tell if I have a weak pe- pelvic floor? Is there like a bit of a ball mark that we can kind of, a list we can check off or how do we know? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think um, we need to think about pelvic floor dysfunction kind of on a spectrum. Okay. So we, we like physios <laughs> kind of in the world, we kind of categorize low tone pelvic floor dysfunction, which is like weakness, flaccidity, um, trauma to the muscles. Like if we had an avulsion, like if a muscle was torn off of their bony attachment that happens during birth sometimes. And then we go up the, the spectrum to what we call the high tone dysfunction. So this is where we see some more of like the pain syndromes, um, pain with penetration, urinary frequency, urgency, uh, constipation, hemorrhoids, like a lot of kind of tightness and high tone. So Traditionally speaking, if we follow that spectrum, the supportive dysfunctions kind of on the low tone or more of our leaking prolapse kind of things that would be like, we, we can't quite support or hold in urine or gas or stool because the muscles either just like aren't strong enough, or they're just like a little bit too lengthened. However, as a caveat to that, you can have leaking when you have a high tone pelvic floor. So you can have a tight and short pelvic floor and still experience some of the low tone dysfunctions because muscles do things to, um, our body takes the path of least resistance, I would say. Mm -hmm. So our bodies try to compensate, right? And so sometimes it's not a strength issue. It's more of a control or tightness issue. And we start to see resolution of leaking or prolapse once we release the pelvic floor and teach it how to contract at the right time instead of being like in spasm all the time. Yeah. It's so interesting that we, we think often having tighter is better, but it's really just Mm -hmm. going to show that it's, it's not. And we want long and strong versus Mm. short and weak. Oh, good. analogy. yeah, I like that. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Long and strong. And that, you know, that also reminds me too, um, Marcy about like long and strong is like, it's going to take you well into the future, having a long and strong mm-hmm. pelvic floor instead of <laughs> short and sharp, yeah. like right now. Um, totally. I'd love to ask you a question because we are almost out of time, um, around your pelvic floor and menstruation. Mm-hmm. Have you ever like, what are your 
known links between, you know, a weak pelvic floor and over, like, how would you say, an over strong, a too strong pelvic Mm -hmm. floor and menstruation. Mm -hmm. Um, I know a lot of women do experience quite bad cramping and Mm -hmm. um, uncomfortability when they're menstruating. Does the pelvic floor have anything to do with that? It's a great question. So I would say kind of guilty by association. (laughs) I would say, you know, if you have pretty severe uterine cramping, if you have endometriosis, if you have PCOS, if you've got some other stuff going on, oftentimes we see kind of a a cascade of events happening in the pelvic floor because of kind of upregulated nervous system, uh, guarding, like when things are painful, like if you have a painful belly or an ovary that's painful or a painful period, our body contracts to protect the area. So we call that like guarding, like reflexive guarding. And over time, the muscles start to think that that's where they need to be all the time. So then physiologically they become kind of just this like short in spasm muscle. It's like having a Charlie horse in your calf or like waking up, you know, with like a crick in your neck, like that just happens all the time for people that experience persistent pain or kind of, um, consistent menstrual pain like that. So I I do see an increase in some of our pain syndromes around menstruation or ovulation, whichever is kind of the trigger. Um, interestingly enough, we do have studies to support that women tear their ACLs more frequently two weeks before menstruation, like around ovulation time, because we, yeah, because we have more hormones that are like making our body a little bit more lax. And we know that female exam, for example, soccer players have a higher rate of ACL injury than male soccer players. And so they started to try to like, see if there were some, you know, cyclical um, implications for that. And, and there are, so sometimes people will experience more of the low tone, like prolapse leaking. They'll have a little bit more symptoms around their cycle, depending on kind of where their hormones are. Um, and oftentimes they think that they're like going backwards or they're getting worse, but then once the period comes, it kind of resolves a little bit and those hormones kind of do what they need to do. And then we can kind of get back to baseline, which is mm. interesting. Super interesting. And it just goes to mm-hmm. show that our bodies are always looking after us in a response to other things that are going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually ruptured my knee and um, <laughs> shoulder, knee, all the things, mm-hmm. way too sporty in my past. And um, <laughs> I'm like, oh, it was, it was a long time ago now, but I'm like, oh, I wonder if I was premenstrual when that happened. Yeah, it's um, interesting to kind of reflect really on that and be like, where was it? What part of my life was I, what was happening then? Mm, and I, it just... It's just a great reflection for everybody listening that, you know, cyclical living isn't just about, you know, living in tune with your menstrual cycle. It's also understanding how does my body respond to where I am in my cycle. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that would also be be true for women who are postpartum, whether that's six weeks or six months or six years, when you do start menstruating again and falling back into your natural rhythm of your menstrual cycle, exploring and understanding, okay, is this the time of my cycle where I feel like I have a lower you know, mm-hmm. pelvic floor or mm-hmm. a stronger pelvic floor. So that's really powerful information. So thanks mm-hmm. for sharing. Yeah, of course. This has been so juicy. I'm loving hearing Yay. all this stuff. Tell <laughs> us. Um, everyone's probably listening to me like, who is it? Like, how do I find this person? I need to understand what she does. Yeah. Where can people find you? Like, how do you, like, where do you yeah. connect? How can they connect? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, where do you hang out? So, yeah. So we hang out mostly on Instagram. So we're on Instagram as um, the down there doc. The website is the same, the down there doc.com. And you can um, join like our email list. We do weekly blogs and newsletters and 
information that way. Our online program and community um, is called Down There Done Right. And you can get to it through our website Love and that. our Instagram page. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and the community is awesome. It's the courses that I have. It's all in one. We have discussion boards in there. So you're connecting with other women and other birthing persons. And I bring in experts from different fields of women's health, um, surrounding kind of reproductive years, uh, once a month. And they come and talk about nutrition and lactation and hormones and sex therapy and fitness and like all these things. So it's really, a really cool multidisciplinary, um, kind of safe space. Um, mm. so that's, I'm very proud of it and it's awesome. So that's uh, down there done, right? That's on the website. And then you can always connect through an Instagram or you can always email us at hello at the down there doc.com. <laughs> so whatever you need, <laughs> all the things you, you know, you yeah. possibly would need to connect. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, mm-hmm. It's been, yeah, it's been so wonderful. And I think that it just goes to show that it's such an important part of women's health. You know, I know men have yeah. pelvic floors too, but you know, women's health, that is not talked about enough, anywhere yeah. near enough, and especially around that process of, you know, why we have wombs in the first place um, right. is to reproduce and healing and nurturing and nourishing that process. So thanks for adding your two cents. It's been so of good. Course. Oh my gosh, uh, you're so welcome. I have a final podcast question for you and we're okay. totally switching up gears here, Marcy. So I want you to think back to your younger menstruating self when you got okay. your period for the first time. What are three things you wish you had have known then that you now know today? Oh my gosh. How to use a tampon. That would have been nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that um, it's nothing to be ashamed about. And I wish I would have known. I didn't really know much about the reproductive cycle or menstruating or why it happened. I mean, I knew why it happened, but like, I didn't understand like ovulation and two, like I didn't get that whole thing. So I wish I would have known a little bit more about that whole process and just been like taught that it's something to be proud of and normal, very normal. Like <laughs> instead we <all> of, <laughs> yeah. Instead of being like shoving tampons up your sleeve and being like, Oh my God. Yeah, sticking them in your in, in your in your bra yeah uh, as you're rushing to the the toilets at school um right. yeah it's de- like we all exist because you know the person who developed us in their womb literally had a menstrual cycle and without that that's impossible so thank you this is so so normal and um i i wish all those things as well but marcy thank you so much for being on the show sharing you're all welcome. your beautiful wisdom about the pelvic floor and all the things that we really should know and not just accept as normal um yep. and just start to understand as common so it's been really beautiful thank you no you're so welcome thank you for having me thank you so much for tuning into every episode of the well woman podcast for everything we mentioned in today's episode you can find this in the show notes over at wellsome.com forward slash podcast if this episode excited you, please hit follow on Spotify, which means all of my episodes will pop up in your feed weekly so you never miss a weekly drop. I'd love you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts too. Love this episode? Come and follow me over on Instagram at wellsome underscore Gemily. Say hi and share what you've taken away from this episode with me. Now, is there a bestie, sister, or a friend who you know who might be fed up, frustrated, and confused with their cycles? Are they ready to join you in awakening their cyclical essence too? Well, take a screenshot of this podcast episode, share it on your socials, email it, text it, or any way you need to get it to them. So together we can all live in flow, harmony, and balance with our cycles. Now, until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body, and remember, body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle.